And so this morning we are going to, we are still in the book of Acts, if you've been following with us and uh, the, the last few months, um, we're going through the book of Acts and we're the series, overall series called Multiply. We're breaking it down into three parts right now, a mini-series, if you will, called A Word of Encouragement. And uh, it's for six years we've been preaching through books of the Bible a majority of the time. It's amazing how God works this out in his schedule and his time and his way. Because we would come to a season, we'd come to a holiday, come to something going on, and we would find in the passage of Scripture that we're in, I like, don't need to go find an Easter passage, we're here. And so what happens here in this part of the story in the book of Acts chapter 13 right in the middle is Paul and Barnabas end up in, uh, in, in Antioch of Pisidia, a different Antioch than we've talked about in the past. This is in Galatia. This is when he plants the church in Galatia. If you've read the book of Galatians, that letter is written to the church, to the people Paul is speaking to in our passage we're going to get to in a moment. And what happens is Paul and Barnabas get there, and they go to the synagogue on, on the Sabbath, and they go to service. They go to church in Antioch, the Jewish church. Um, and because Paul is a rabbi, a trained for the Sanhedrin, he's like a traveling preacher. And they're like, hey, Paul and Barnabas, y'all, y'all have a word of encouragement. If you do, would you share it with the people? And Paul stands up. And so he goes through and gives what is his first recorded sermon uh, a teaching that we have to know what's Paul teaching people. This is it, man. This is historical. This is important stuff, what Paul has to say here. So we're going to break his sermon of sorts down into three parts over the next three Sundays. It's called A Word of Encouragement. The first word we're going to talk about is history because that's where he starts. He gives them Israel's history. I want to tell you, just for a minute, this week we traveled down to North Carolina, um, my family has a place down there on on uh, eastern North Carolina. My aunt lived there. She passed away, and she blessed, left my mom and dad with the, with the place. And so it's become, I've been going there for almost 30 years. It's become kind of just a family gathering place. And so we were down there on spring break this week. About five minutes from my aunt's house is a little island called Harker's Island. Does that sound familiar? If you know my son's name, y'all that thought, you mean Harper? When we named him Harker. Or Parker, like you get it mixed up somewhere in between, which one is it? And uh, so it's Harker, named after this island, and we got some strobes going. We'll just roll with it. Um, and so we named him after the island, but we were down there this week, and, uh, and we were driving over, and they're building a new bridge, and I looked at that bridge, and I was trying to imagine myself, like, if, uh, and it's amazing, it's a, an engineering feat, like, how do you build a bridge across water and design it and build it? And I was thinking, man, if that was, I'm trying to imagine if somebody said, hey, Jared, get some people together and go build a bridge over to that island. And so I, like, imagine myself at Lowe's, right, like buying two-by-fours, trying to figure out how I'm going to get to the other side. And, and I would have thought, I mean, I'm not an engineer. I'd just probably go to one side and start building, like putting something together and, and say, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to try to hit the island. I might end up this way or that way. I don't know where I'm going to hit it. I'm just going to start building stuff, and I don't know if it'll sink. I don't know if it'll, I don't know if it'll, a car will. You might not want to even walk across it. But what I noticed with them is that they were building this part, and they're like 75% over, and they've already started on the other side preparing for where the bridge is going to connect into. 
And these are human engineers, human intellect, and they figured all this out. The pilings, the, the angles, the degrees, the amount of concrete, all the, I mean, which bolts to use, what size, like all this stuff. They figured it all out. And human engineering, and they can connect it. They know where it's going to hit on the island. And you see, as I was reading this passage and I was hearing Paul talk about history, it resonated with me the reality that God, he both knows the beginning of history and the end. That he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And he knows the course of history. And it has no choice. He knows the end. He shared it with us. And there's nothing man can do. There's nothing you can do. Nothing I can do to stop God's overarching plan for this place. Like he knows where the bridge is going to connect at the other end. And so let's read this passage of scripture and think uh, just for a minute about what's happening. We're going to talk about three histories uh, this morning. Let's look at the passage of scripture. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. That's a lot of peas. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Side note here in the introduction, mini-sermon. John Mark is the author who wrote the gospel according to Mark. John Mark, at this point, has been along with Paul and Barnabas, and for some reason he leaves at this time. Scholars really don't know. They think either he, didn't, he just didn't have the perseverance to go on because they were getting ready to go up in the mountains uh, into Galatia. Uh, he was frustrated. There's some kind of disconnect. And we find out a few chapters over that Paul is actually frustrated that he leaves here. And like kind of discounts him. It's like, well, Mark, Mark couldn't even push through. That kind of thing. And so we find even in the early church, like people are people. Like, and there's frustration, and there's discontentment, and there's discord. We do find later in a letter that Paul writes... In one of his last letters, I think it's 2 Timothy, where he says, I mean, if you could just send John Mark down here, it would help me. So somewhere they reconcile. That sounds a lot like life, doesn't it? Like we get frustrated with people, we break ties with people, then those people can change and we get reconciled. That's how God works. And so here, John Mark, he leaves, and so it's just Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Now I want you to think just for a minute, another mini lesson. What's Barnabas mean? What's his name mean? Son of encouragement. Somebody said it over here. You remember Barnabas was the guy when, when the church at Jerusalem, after Paul got saved, they wouldn't even let Paul in. And Barnabas went on his behalf and was like, no, he's really been saved. He's been sharing the truth and gospel. God's blessed him. Let him in. He went and vowed on his behalf. Barnabas is also the guy when he got to Antioch of Syria where the first church plant happened and became home base for God's church to multiply throughout the globe. When he said, we need help, Barnabas is the one that went and got Paul and brought him over. He is the son of encouragement. And these people just said, hey, do you all have any word of encouragement? And it's Paul and Barnabas standing there. Who should stand up? In my mind, it was Barnabas. I was like, whoa, this is switching up here. 
And we have this lesson in leadership that's really important. And it's that what we see in Barnabas here, he's more about the mission than the man. That from this point forward, Barnabas is no longer in the lead and he doesn't care. He just wants to reach the world with the gospel. And from this point forward, Paul is the one standing up. He's following Paul. Paul is in the lead. He speaks first when they go places. Barnabas, he doesn't care. He's like, I'm just in. I don't care if I'm first, second, last, what, if I need to take the garbage out. That is humility and servant leadership, and we find that in Barnabas. So Paul stands up. He lifts his hand to quiet the church. It was Jews in there, men of Israel. It was God-fearing Gentiles. It was all lost people. They had not accepted Jesus yet. They didn't know the full story of Jesus. Paul's going to share some groundbreaking, life-changing things with them. And so he holds his hand up, and he says, Men of Israel and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen. Will you listen to this? And this is what Paul had to say. He said, The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. It's the last verse for this week. That'll be the first verse for next week. Today we're talking about three histories, and the first one is Israel's history. As we read through this, I'm going to go back. I don't want you to just notice something as we, as we go through this, who the author is. And we see the, the active verbs in this history that he reads about Israel. He says, the God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong. God chose them. He made them multiply. He grew them strong. He led them out of slavery. He put up with them for 40 years. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave the land to Israel. All this took about four years. After that, God gave them judges. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul. But God, re God removed Saul and replaced him with that. Do you see how in this, this, as we read this history, he's not telling them about all the characters in history. He's, he's speaking to them about the author, the one who wrote this out, who was in complete control the entire time, who blessed them and strengthened them, even when they didn't know that he was doing it. And so here we see the main character of this story is God himself. 
And see, to all the Jews, they were thinking of these things as mistakes, as failures, that time in Egypt, that time in the wilderness. They were thinking of all these things as complete mess-ups and mistakes. And yet, Paul is saying God was present during all of that. And so let's just take for a minute the things he says here that God did in Israel's history. First, he says he chose them. The nation of Israel, the Jews at this point, have become pretty arrogant, honestly. And, and honestly, as a church, as a Christian, we have the risk of being this way. To be arrogant, to be confident and that I'm a Christian. They're not. You should be. And he reminds them, hey, like, hey, you special Jews, you are only special because God chose you. Because God loved you. And you know what? He chose you, and then he's put up with you. <laughs> You did not earn this choosing. And actually, there's been multiple times over the last centuries that God should have left you in the dust, continually rebelling and turning against him. And he said, but God chose them. And then he said, God delivered them out of Egypt. You remember the story of Joseph, got sold into slavery, ended up in Egypt, and, uh, and, and found favor. I mean, God just brought in a miraculous story from mess to masterpiece. Joseph became a leader in Egypt, in, in Egypt and his family got favor with the Pharaoh. And the Jews just grew and grew, and they multiplied and multiplied in Egypt. As they multiplied, eventually a Pharaoh came along that didn't, find, that didn't have favor with them and put them all in slavery, and they spent... Uh, time in slavery working for the Egyptians and then there's the story of the, the little baby in the basket remember that story Moses Moses was born and nobody knew the mother just had in his heart like I gotta save this kid put him in a basket and in the river God again in his sovereign ways of authoring history had Pharaoh's daughter find Moses, and Moses again was raised uh, with the Pharaoh's people. He, he, he was lived that way 40 years until he got so frustrated and he saw how his people were being treated. He lost his temper. He killed an Egyptian. The next day, he found out people knew about it, and he's like, I got to get out of here or I'm going to get killed. He leaves to go to a desert, gets married, totally different life. Life's over, right? He messed up. 40 years in the desert being a shepherd, and then one day, a bush catches on fire and doesn't go out. And God speaks back to Moses and says, I'm gonna, I need you to go down. I'm going to rescue my people. He's reminding these Jews, God chose you. Yeah, you worship Abraham and Moses sometimes, but God delivered you from slavery and from Egypt. And he says they put up with them. Man, aren't you glad God puts up with you? <laughs> so he put up with them. I mean, they just, it reminded me of this most recent story. You see, uh, you see the stuff, John, see about Chris Rock and Will Smith? Nobody saw that? 
That's all, so I saw that one meme that said, this is the only way I knew the Oscars happened. I, I mean, I don't watch the Oscars. Do y'all watch the Oscars? I didn't even know it happened until the next day and saw, you know, so Will Smith gets upset at Chris Rock who told a joke about his wife live and goes up, Will Smith just goes up and hits him in the face, like on the Oscars, like, and then walks back to his seat. And Chris Rock's like, wow, and he used some expletives, and, but he, he didn't respond. He didn't retaliate. He just kind of put up with it. He just stood there and, like, didn't know what to do. And there's been all kinds of critiques about everybody. And what I found out is like people are people. Everybody messes up everywhere. I mean, Chris probably said some stuff he shouldn't have said. Will responded with anger that he shouldn't have had. Uh, the Oscars, they weren't ready to deal. I mean, they probably never had anybody go up on stage and hit somebody in the face and then go back to their seat. I mean, this is just, we're all broken people. We can't expect perfection from everybody because none of us are perfect. So anyway, they put up, God put up with Israel. Put up with them. Well, what kind of stuff were they were doing? Well, he went down, dropped 10 plagues on Pharaoh, rescued them out of Egypt, got them out of slavery, and they got to the wilderness and the Red Sea, and they got scared, and they thought, we're going to die. We'd just rather be slaves. Can't we just go back and be slaves again? That'd be so good. We loved it. Because <laughs> they didn't see a way through, and God's like, that sea's going to become a highway. He puts them through. All right? And then they get to another place. They get close to Canaan's land. They're like, they wanted to send some scouts over and see what it looked like. The people that were going to have to go fight with God's help to, to take back their land that's been promised to them. They send 12 scouts over. They're supposed to just go say, come back and report. Here's the, what the land looks like that we're going to own. But 10 of them thought it was like, go see if we can do this, scout. And they came back and said, we <laughs> Them guys are big. They're like giants. We're like grasshoppers. Caleb and Joshua, they're like, they're the two of the 12 that were like ripping their clothes. It said they got so upset. It's like, God told us we're going to live there. No giants, no army, no people, no nothing's going to stop us. We got to go. Yet there were 10 who were louder than the two. And all the people, again, what they start saying I can't believe this is our leader. I can't believe we're here. We're going to die in this desert. God, I can't believe this. And you know, for, you know what God does? Forty years of wandering in the wilderness, he drops manna to them, feeds them, leads them at night by a pillar of fire, cares for them. He put up with Israel. Then it says, he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave the land to Israel. You know the story of Jericho. You know all the stories of how God brought his people into the place. He promised them. He gives them judges, gave them Samuel a prophet, gave them the king they wanted. When he didn't work out, took that king, gave them a good king for a while until he messed up. Like God was doing all this in Israel's history. That's Israel's history. Second history I want to look at is Paul's history. The one who's speaking these words. Because as I thought about it, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is, this is incredible. Because here Paul is standing. 
trained to be a Jew of Jews, trained to be on the Sanhedrin. And God is using his entire history in this moment from the beginning to the mistakes, to the failures, to the, to the, to the rebellion, to the confusion, to the, to, the, to the righteousness he tried to do, to the, all those things, to all the way down to who his teacher was when he was a kid. All, that's how God works in your life. Can I tell you that? He's using all that because in this moment they asked Paul to preach because he was a rabbi. He was trained. They knew of who Paul was. Uh, he also says in Galatians, is like people hadn't really seen me yet. People in Jerusalem, they were just here. And that was the guy that was killing Christians. And now he's preaching. That was word on the street. Okay? So they invited Paul to preach because he was a rabbi. They were using, God was using his history. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul wrote this about his life. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. See, Paul was understanding this reality that God was using his history that God had chosen. He had chosen him. And, and you think back about Paul's history. He was also standing there when they murdered and stoned Stephen, the first martyr, the deacon. That's not like an apology it stands for like apologetics. It was this logical defense of his faith. And Paul was standing there, and he was as mad as everybody else because it said he consented to the stoning of Stephen. This was the first recorded murder of a Christian for stepping out and sharing their faith. Paul stood there. Not only did he stand there, he got excited about it. He's like, you're the first. I'm going to go get more. Like, I'm making it my life mission to destroy this movement of Jesus' followers. And so he goes, goes about, like, rest, uh, arresting Christians, um, putting them in jail, murdering them. Like, he's on, he's on the war path against Christianity. And yet, in that moment, in that time, while he's thinking he's fighting so hard and trying to stop it, he's the very, very reason that some believers went to Antioch in the first place. If you remember, it says they went to Antioch where church planning started and God decides to multiply from that home base the church we're in today. That while Paul thought he was destroying Christianity, God was using that because people had to run for their life and they just ended up in Antioch and started sharing the gospel. You think about Paul's history in that. God delivered Paul on the road to Damascus. Struck him down, shared his, said, Paul, Paul, why are you kicking against me? And Paul said, who are you? He said, it's the Lord, the one you kick against. It's Jesus. Like, the one you think you're protecting people from, God, is actually the one you're fighting against. Paul's whole life changed. He becomes new. And this church in Antioch, you think about Paul's history, just hang with me just a few more seconds. When Barnabas gets down there to see what's happening, he says, we need help. 
And he goes to get Paul. He brings Paul back and he's preaching at this church. And he preaches for a year at this church in Antioch. And he has to know this. I didn't do this. Like I was trying to stop the church when these believers came. Like there's probably some of the believers that ran from me still in this congregation. And now I'm here preaching the truth about Jesus to these people. See, God called him, he delivered him, he led him to Antioch, he, he led him on this missionary journey that we're on with him now. He delivered Paul, he put up with Paul, all the same things he did with Israel. That's two histories. Israel's history, Paul's history. I want to talk about one more, and that's your history. It's my history. The reality that these things about Israel and about Paul are true for you. And they're true for me. That God chose you. Not because you earned it, not because you deserve it. See, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Like he came so that whosoever opened this invitation up to the whole world, every soul that would ever be born, he has opened up the invitation to accept Jesus as their Savior. He came for each and every. When he was on the cross, when he was gone, he had your name in mind. He loved you that much. God chose you. And maybe we can wrap our mind around Romans 8.28. Paul wrote that. Romans 8.28 that, that said, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He went on to say, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them... He called them to come to him, and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to know God chose you. If you're a Christian, God delivered you. God's leading you. And sure enough, God's put up with you. I mean, and I think of as, as a father, you know, got, we got a three-year-old little boy, Harker. You all know him. Um, I talked about him earlier, but he's something else. He's not our daughter. You know, our daughter's 12. She was such a sweet little angel. Um, but if he skips a nap and later in the afternoon and the evening, and we're, and, and, and like, he really, like, loses it. I mean, he can, I mean, he can like fist flying to kind of lose it, temper tantrums and things like that. And, and there's moments, you know, as a parent, you're like, Grr. right? Any parents in here? Everybody's like, Grr. what are you doing? And yet even us as human adult parents who lose our patience, at the end we can pick a screaming child up sl slinging its arms at us. 
and wrap our arms around it and know that if it's just a bad day, it's a bad time, it's going to hold him, dodge here, <laughs> dodge there. God puts up with your rebellion, with you messing up, with your mistakes. There's three things I want you to do this morning. One, you've you got to accept your history. You have to. You have to be able to look back across your life and say, this is what it was. This is what it is. And I have to rest on this promise of Romans 8.28 that he can use all that for good. That means he can use your, your rebellion, your mistakes. You may think your addiction has crippled you. It hasn't. You may think your divorce has ruined you. It hasn't. You may think the abuse you suffered as a child or as a teenager or last week that nobody else even knows about, like you've never even told anybody, just God knows about the thing you suffered, the abuse, the thing that you thought tarnished you. It means you're never going to be enough. You are enough. You may think that time you were cheated and somebody just did you so wrong and nobody knows about it and, and, and you just were waiting for vengeance and, and that you can never overcome the way you were done and you're still harboring bitterness over it. You can let go of the bitterness. You may think the depression and anxiety has won over. It hasn't. You may think your effort toward perfection has saved you or kept you saved? Not a bit. Salvation, you're saved by grace through faith. Not by works, lest any man would boast. Like you can, get, you can start thinking, I'm saved because I've gone to church three weeks in a row. Trifecta. If you accept your history, you've got to let go of regret. What could have been, what should have been, or if only. Remember that God chose you, delivered you, led you, put up with you. Second, you've got to give God your future and trust him with it. If he's the author of the history and he's using it all for good, if he's worked throughout history, it should give us complete confidence and peace about the future. You should be able to sleep well at night. You should be able to just rest in that truth of that God loves you, that he's working things together for the good of those that love him. I want to pause here just for a minute and say, well, this sounds like you're saying he works everything good, even the times I sinned and messed up, and he's going to use that for good, so I, could just, I can just sin and do whatever I want. And Paul kind of answers that question. Romans says that doesn't even make sense. A real Christian always hungers for godliness and righteousness. But you have to understand as well that sin always has consequence. Always has consequences. Yeah, if you've made mistakes, he can use it for good. But, and it may not affect your salvation, but I can promise you, you can destroy your marriage. 
You can leave lasting effects on your children, the way you lead them and the way you live in front of them. You can squander any kind of wealth that God has given you by taking risks, cutting corners. I'm telling you, sin ha- God gave us guidance not to like uh, make us miserable, but actually bring us closer to peace. Like The more we do, the way he's guided us, the closer to peace we are, the more peaceful life is. So sin always has consequences. You see, God worked through Israel's history, but a whole generation died in the wilderness. Okay. The third thing, so we accept our past, our history. We give God our future and trust him with it. So right now, today, what do we do? There's only one thing you can do. And it's accept the gift of grace. That's what this whole story is about. That's why Paul's standing up there talking. He writes again to the church of Galatia. The whole letter is written about why you're going back to the works, to the slavery, to the bondage. You've, you've left the doctrine of grace that this is all about. And so I'll... I'll as we were driving by, this was the picture of this bridge, and you can barely see it back here. I was driving by it, and I saw those pilings. Can you all see them inside that circle? I was like, they messed up. I probably need to go over and find the foreman and let him know. Like, those aren't all parallel. They're not all straight. Like, they're, that's crooked. The next group's straight. How could they not see that? I'm kind of joking. Because they're the designers, they're the builders. I got a feeling at some point in the process, those crooked pilings are going to be critically important to holding the bridge up. And yet we look at our own life and we see things like, I look at that and be like, that's never going to work. And you see crooked pilings in your own life and you say, that, that, well, why did that happen to me? Why is life this way? Why, why, uh, maybe I lost a job, maybe you got a bad uh, health report, or maybe just anxiety has you just crippled, uh, whatever that is. And you say, why, I can't see that right now, how that will ever be for good. And yet we find this promise in Romans 8, God can use it. Not for your material benefit, not for your, 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 your wealth or your happiness, but for your spiritual benefit. Because your faith is the most important thing. I used to love uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Y'all love that song when you were a kid? Nope. Anyway, at the end of it, <laughs> um, it, uh, the, it, it says, he'll go down in history. Except me as a kid, I always heard his story. Because it's kind of, I was like, and I was always so confused. I was like, whose story? Whose story is Rudolph going down there? Like, that was always my question. And I think I was probably about 30 when I realized it was history. You got to realize that history is his story. He is the author. 
He loves you. He cares about you. Accept it. Trust him. Just live in grace right now, today. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it, but he's been pursuing you. He's chosen you. He loves you. He's led you, and he's delivered you. Mother Teresa said it like this. She said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. God, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you of this truth that you are constantly present. You are constantly pursuing your children. God, thankful that no matter where we walk, you come to in this place, in this moment, where we come from in life and what our walk has been and, and what we've done or who we've been, like you can wash all that away from an eternal standpoint and be in, in just a moment's uh, expression of repentance and faith from us of just to put our trust in you. Like all that is washed away and we have access to eternal life. God, I'm thankful that we as, a, as believers can rest on these promises and just these, this truth that you chose us. We can accept our history and where we are and we can... We can trust you with the future. And God, today, we're just so thankful that we're living in your grace. God, we're going to sing this song to you. It just says, we love you, Lord. You've always been faithful. We want to live that out today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.